This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of March 6, 2017, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 419 of Defender Radio. Spring is in the air. Well, right now it is. Later today it might be snow, or hail, or summer. It's been a bit hard to tell exactly what to expect in regards to the weather. But one thing is certain. We are in a season of change. And as the weather changes, we'll also be seeing changes in the behaviors of all sorts of life. From spiders spinning new webs, to birds stretching their wings and picking up the early worms of 2017. Of course, we'll also be seeing all kinds of local wildlife scurrying about to find leftovers from beneath the snow, a new mate, or pushing their young out to find their own homes. While it can be wonderful to watch, our influence on these animals can be significant, so understanding who is doing what and how we might be affecting them is vital this time of year. To talk about this season of change, what we can expect from our furry neighbors, and how to prevent conflict in and around our homes, Defender Radio was joined by Janelle Vanderbeek of the Wildlife Rescue Association of BC. This time of year, uh, the season is changing very rapidly. Uh, here in Ontario, it, it's gone from 15 degrees and sunny to minus 10 and snowing over the course of two days. I know in British Columbia, you've been having random snowstorms come in, uh, in addition to your sort of regular tepid weather. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yesterday, I think it was snowing and then sunny with blue skies and then raining all within the span of about an hour. Yeah. It's, 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 it's totally normal. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. so, <laughs> so I, I, I we're going to see a lot of changes in the animals coming. Uh, they're yeah. going to be coming out of hibernation. They're going to be starting to find yeah. new nests, starting to mate. Uh, exactly. I thought sort of the best way to start is look at sort of who are we going to see first coming out of their, uh, their hidey holes this time of year. So at this time of year, um, the first things, the first animals that we'll see um, actually reproducing and having young will be the great horned owls and the hummingbirds. Um, so those are the first fledglings and nestlings that we get each year, um, usually baby hummingbirds that something has happened to, tri- to make their nest fall. And quite often that is actually someone trimming their trees um, too late in the season. So now we don't actually recommend people trim their trees any longer or clean up their yards too much just because um, animals will be nesting and may actually have eggs or nestlings in that nest already um, that you wouldn't really expect. So we want to make sure that you're checking branches very, very carefully before you um, do any tree trimming just to keep those animals safe. All right. And, and um, in regards to uh, you know, squirrels and, and raccoons and the other mammals, are they soon to follow? Uh, they are pretty soon to follow. Now is the time that they, again, are going to be looking for their denning spots. So we're getting lots of calls about um, raccoons and squirrels and that chasing each other and um, doing what they do. Um, but at this time of year, the females are going to be kicking their babies out from last year. So they've had their babies late season last year that they spent the whole winter with. They taught them how to survive the, their first winter. Um, and now they're kicking those babies who are now grown out 
from the nest or the den, and she's preparing to have other babies. And she'll be looking for several several locations to have those babies in. Uh, raccoons and squirrels and most mammals will actually have three or four options when they have a den available, just in case something happens, some predators uh, crop up or something that they need to move from one den to the next. So it's great at this time of year to make sure that your property is well secured. Look for any holes. Um, do a perimeter walk of your house if you own a house every day, just to look for any um, shingles from your roof because raccoons will quite often pull them up to try and get into a roof or an attic for nesting, um, just to to keep your area safe and to keep the animals safe because it can be a hazard, especially for squirrels to be nesting in attics. They do tend to go towards electrical boxes um, and they will sometimes chew at those wires, which makes a fire hazard for your house and um, possible death sentence for those animals. So it's it's good idea to home-proof or wildlife-proof your house at this time of year just so that you're preventing things from happening in the spring. Yeah, they they do seem to like our houses. I guess uh, it's that I, I saw someone actually questioning this online uh, today, saying, why do they like our house? Why don't they go and live in trees? What is it about houses uh, or, or maybe like warehouses that draws in animals when there are you know, trees and other places available to them? So it'll be the safety and the warmth. Um, houses are nice and warm. We usually keep them well heated. Um, there's usually food sources around. Some people uh, won't quite get their garbage as under control as they maybe should. Um, and we'll have uh, good food access for those animals. We highly recommend making sure that garbage is well secured. Put a bungee cord on it or a brick on it and try to, especially in Toronto, um, they have very smart raccoons that mm -hmm. um, you gotta you got to work around to make sure that they're not getting at those food sources. But they like to be in houses because it's a, it's safe for them. Um, as opposed to trees, they're, it's a little bit less safe. They have to watch out for predators a little bit more. There's probably multiple openings to their den um, that they have to keep an eye on for predators. Again, it's not going to be quite as dry and warm in a tree as it would in your attic. Um, and quite often what they'll do in your attic is they'll dig down into the insulation, which is a wonderful pre-built nesting material for them that's going to keep their babies nice and warm. So they're going to take advantage of the construction that we've done to make ourselves comfortable to make themselves comfortable as well. You, you had mentioned the squirrels and chipmunks chasing each other. Uh, people were calling in saying, yeah. I actually spoke with uh, Leslie yeah. Sampson last week of Coyote Watch Canada, and we were talking about sort of the changes yeah. in behaviors this time of year as well. And I, I actually had yeah. sent her a recording I had from my backyard because I didn't know what animals they were. Um, and she and I sort of both believe it was two raccoons. Um, and I remember, you know, spending time in Toronto where there is a, a large population of raccoons. Um, it sounds like they're trying to kill each other um, this time of year. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what it'll sound like. Um, quite often we'll get with raccoons, with regards to raccoons, um, mating, we'll get calls about them up in trees, um, fighting up in trees, hugging each other that they can't get down, um, up in trees just shaking and people think that they're sick. Um, so there's, there's lots of calls that we get about that kind of thing. And usually it's just a matter of, um, talking the person through what they're seeing and what time of year it is, um, and letting them know that this is normal behavior, that the animals are not actually hurting each other. Um, I, they may be hurting each other, but not, not, not definitely, um, not severely as it were. Um, so we, yeah, we suggest to just let them do their thing and they, they can be quite loud about it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's something to hear at night, especially yeah. when it's just yeah. on the other side of a fence. 
Yeah, uh, it's louder than two cats fighting, definitely. Yeah. Well, and that's that's originally what I thought it might have been. Um, yeah. But uh, now, when people do see an animal, and again, this this ranges from seeing maybe an animal that they think might be hurt up to yeah. seeing an animal trying to get in and out of their house. Uh, yeah. Wh- who should they be calling? Because I know that's an issue that you have dealt with extensively um and you will uh mention to me in conversation that you get yeah. this just this this wide array so where where do you draw the line between who to call from you know 911 bring in the black helicopters yeah. to uh, uh go to home hardware so what we will suggest to people first of all if they know that they have animals denning in their area um, is well firstly we start with the preventative measuring so going around your house checking for holes making sure that your building is secure um, building maintenance is the number one when you have a problem with wildlife in your house it's not the wildlife that are the problem it's the building and the security of the building that is usually the problem um, so making sure your building is well maintained and then once animals show signs of getting into your house We recommend, and I know both in Ontario and in BC, we've got AAA wildlife control. Um, There are humane wildlife control companies out there. They are permitted to do what they do, and they do a very good job of it. They follow through incredibly well, and they have the interest of the animals as well as the homeowners at heart. Um, So we suggest calling them to get advice as to how to fully exclude these animals from the home. Um, If somebody calls with an animal that is already denning in their home, we'll suggest a couple of humane deterrents for that animal just to make their den as uncomfortable as possible. Um, So just imagine in your bedroom that you have someone shining a spotlight on your bed. You wouldn't really want to sleep there anymore. You wouldn't be able to sleep very well. So we suggest shining a very bright flashlight directly at the den of where the animal is sleeping and where it's having its babies. It probably won't want to be there. Uh, we recommend playing a radio talk radio station um, in the as close to the den as you can, as loud as you can without bothering your neighbors or yourself. Uh, because having a an animal or having voices in their bedroom or in their den um, is going to make them uncomfortable. It's going to make them feel like there's a predator in the area and they'll be constantly vigilant, which they don't want to be in their home. They want to be able to relax a little bit more in their home with their babies. So they'll want to get out of there again because of that. And the third thing we suggest is a scent deterrent. So they are quite sensitive to smell, most mammals. And we'll suggest that you get a margarine container or a small um, yogurt container, something plastic, poke some holes in the lid, uh, put a little rag in there just to act as a wick for the smell, and put a little bit of plain bleach in that container just because the smell, to us it doesn't smell so bad, um, to the animals the strong smell, especially in a small contained area, will become quite overpowering to them, which it's quite comical because this works with skunks as well. Um, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that they would be sensitive to smells, but they are. Um, and we, we suggest using those three things together and usually using those three things together after three days, the animal has gotten out of the area and you can patch up any holes that you find that, uh, the animal may be coming into your house through and just make sure the area is well cleaned so that the animal doesn't come back in. With regards to animals that are injured, it really depends what the animal is and what the injury is. So we get lots of calls about raccoons that are limping, and we have to assess that injury to see whether it's an old injury or a new injury, whether it is something that um, we can assist the animal with healing from, whether it needs assistance. At this time of year, again, we talked about raccoons um, mating earlier, but raccoons are also fighting over territories and are fighting over mates. So they, not necessarily, the screaming may also have been some raccoons um, fighting over a new area. Again, as I mentioned, the young will be looking for new territories and they have to fight to get those territories and those food sources, those safe places places to sleep. So most of the injuries that we're seeing 
are male raccoons that have been fighting each other or female raccoons that have been fighting each other over territories and over um, safe places to live. So we'll see lots of bite wounds around the tail, around the neck um, that are just conspecific attacks. And we'll, we'll go on a case-by-case basis as per the injury to figure out what's going on with that animal, whether it does need help and how we can help it. Um, we always suggest calling your local rescue society, rescue wildlife rehabilitation society, and if not, you can call the SPCA, and they may have an idea of where the nearest wildlife rehabilitation center is to you. There are some in every province, um, and we, yeah, we suggest calling and asking for advice as to what to do with your situation, just because there are so many different options of what might be happening that we want to go case by case. It's interesting, too, the number of times that I have heard, and I, I'm pretty sure this is something common for you as well, particularly, I would think, at these seasonal changes, when people start saying, I saw this raccoon, or I saw a coyote, or I saw whatever the animal may yeah. be, and he looked really hungry. Yeah, yeah. They, people think they tend to look hungry, but wildlife in general are going to be much leaner than our pets. Um, they need to be lean in order to survive well in late in the summer or as they're pregnant. Um, you will see larger animals, larger raccoons that are quite bulgy. Um, but we, we see them looking hungry, but that's just because they're coming out of the winter. They're coming out of a season where they had limited food resources and they're coming into a season where there are more food resources. They're going to take what they can get and they're going to eat um, they're quite omnivorous. Most of the mammals that we're talking about are skunks, raccoons, and coyotes, and they'll eat what they can find. So they're because they're wild, it's just a nature of them to look hungry. Yeah. They're not always hungry. And don't feed them. Yes. Well, I was going to say, that's the, I mean, that, that's really yeah. the lesson there is when, especially, yeah. I think, when they're in that transitionary period, you don't want to say, I am a resource, yeah. keep coming back to me. Exactly. Yeah. When they, especially the young ones that are um, leaving their moms right now with the raccoons, at least, um, they're learning what their food sources are. And if they learn that you are a food source, they will continue to come to you for a food source and they will tell their friends and they will bring all their friends. So you will have quite a large population before too long um, coming to you for food, which not only becomes expensive for you, but could also become a problem for your neighbors and for your neighborhood. It's quite likely that your neighbors aren't quite as fond of the animals as you are, and they may um, take measures to get rid of them, which are, are not what we want to happen or likely not what the person feeding the animals wants to happen. Um, in addition, we, we don't want those animals to rely on that food source solely. We want them to be able to learn how to forage on their own and eat their natural food sources as opposed to um, easy handouts from, from humans. I'm wondering if you have any particularly interesting uh, um, stories regarding this time of year as well. Uh, I'm just thinking everyone I know who's involved in rehab or, or in wildlife control has that one story they can't quite get over. Do you have anything like that that might be a uh, an amusing anecdote. Oh my goodness. Um, I've got all kinds of stories. We just recently on the phones, um, we get all kinds of calls from all kinds of people every day. Um, we had a, a lovely homeless gentleman named Felix in Vancouver calling us, um, asking us to put on all the sirens and pull out all the stops to come and get the little love dove that he had found that was God's pigeon um, that needed help. And we were able to get the animal into care. Um, and it's it's a young pigeon that we've just got on medication at the moment for some parasites, otherwise in good shape. Um, but yeah, every day is something new. I don't have anything huge off the top of my head at the moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, every day there's something. Every day is different. Um, it has something 
um, fun and exciting going on. One of the things you and I have spoken about in the past uh, at length, and I, I, I have spoken about it um, in various formats, is the drink lids. Uh, this is something, and I, I feel like it's almost the six-pack ring of our generation now. Yes. Although the six-pack um, ring is still the six-pack ring of our generation. Amazingly. Yes. I don't know why that's still a thing. That does I, It just makes no sense to me. But yeah. there's the, uh, Out east somewhere in your area in Nova Scotia, I think, they have uh, developed one made out of algae, which um, is it decomposes. Um, unfortunately, it costs a little bit more to make them, so they haven't quite caught on. I think they may have a Kickstarter. Their Kickstarter is probably ended by now. Um, but that's a fantastic idea. Just because it decomposes, it will... Um, if anything, like the duck that we had a, a month or two ago who had a six-pack ring holder around her neck, um, if that happened, in her case, because of her proximity to the water, the, the six-pack ring holder made of algae would have decomposed by now, whereas um, we unfortunately lost track of her. She was able to fly and was able to swim quite well. We were not able to capture her. Uh, we don't know where she is, but she likely still has that six-pack ring holder around her neck, and it will hinder her um, eventually, hopefully not, hopefully she's able to get it off, but eventually likely to the point that she'll be captured by a predator of some sort. The dome-shaped lids is one, I think, people just, and it's one of these, we simply need to keep talking about it, but yeah. how many times have you seen one of those lids Put oh. an animal in distress. Um, we, over my time at Wildlife Rescue, it's been about five years now, um, we have seen probably over 10 or between 10 and 15 skunks um, with those uh, dome-shaped lids on their heads, um, usually to some extent either around the neck like you would see a dog coming back from the vet or um, like a seat belt around the neck and the arm. Uh, it usually causes some degree of damage to the skin because what happens with these little guys is um, they're omni omnivores. They're going to eat what they can find. And if there's a sweet little bit of ice cream left in that cup or a nice iced cappuccino for them, um, they will put their head into that cup to get into that cappuccino um, or that ice cream and get their head stuck around in that dome-shaped lid because their head is shaped like a triangle. They can't pull it out fully. So they get stuck. They can't get it off. Sometimes they can get the cup off on their own, um, but unfortunately they can't get that lid off. And this happens most often when they are young. So it happens in July, August, um, when they're still growing. And then we tend to see these animals uh, more and more in September, October, when they're growing into those um, dome-shaped lids because it's causing them pain. It's causing them to be hindered, causing them to be more capturable and more obvious to members of the public who will call us for assistance. I think too, right now, as the weather warms up, uh, I'm even just seeing the, the garbage on the street more already. Yeah. And a lot of that um, at this time of year is at least in our area, because a lot of the snow has melted. And when there is snow, people, uh, I'm not sure of this, but it seems to me that people are more likely to throw out litter because it will very quickly be covered up with snow um, and you don't have to see it. But then when the snow melts, there is lots and lots of litter on the ground. So at this time in the year, um, there is a lot out there and it's always, always good to pick those those pieces of trash up regardless of what they are um, you never know what kind of animal might find it interesting um, we gulls will eat pretty much anything so if they see something that they are going to test out they may end up swallowing it it may cause them harm or block their internal organs um, so that they have some major damage going on there so it's always good to pick up any kind of litter that you find on the streets um, and it also just makes the world look better 
Mm-hmm. It does. Uh, and we only have one world, so it's it's important that we take care of it. Yeah, definitely. A subject that I've seen come up um, on both when we have shared, uh, the Fur Bears has shared something from uh, WRA and when you've posted things for WRA and, and on other re- rehab sites, uh, are people questioning decisions. Uh, there, There is one case relatively recently that we uh, we wrote about uh, I know you were uh, uh, you got into the media talking about it and it was a large rat trap that had um, and we didn't share the actual picture I don't think we, we had a blurred version of it but it was a very significant trauma uh, to the leg and paw and people were asking um, a few people keep in mind and yeah. this this is by no means a majority but saying yeah. why didn't you do this why didn't you do that uh, yeah how do how do some of these decisions get made, both in the in the decision to treatments and in the decision to humanely euthanize? Because I think that's something, again, it's important to get out that these are not sort of like flippant decisions. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's always a decision that's made as a team for these animals. Um, with that raccoon in particular, we consulted with another rehabilitation center as well um, to see what can be done, what can we push um, in terms of the line of what can be done for these animals to to get them back out into the wild to to get them to survive. Um, With that animal in particular, um, we were able to see the paw and we were able to smell the paw. Um, It was severely infected. That infection had likely spread into the bones. Um, We, I believe we did an x-ray on that animal and four out of the five fingers were very badly broken in a way that they would not have been able to heal to be usable. Um, And that last finger had had the blood flow cut off for so long that it would likely have fallen off as well. So that animal would have been with only three paws and with raccoons, they can survive with three paws. So that is a point that some people have made, but what we have as wildlife rehabilitators is we have the interest of the animal at heart in that we want it to have the best chance it can to survive in the wild. So the ones that we see that have come in with three paws that have another injury and the other injury is what we're looking at, the other injury is what we're treating for, we will treat those animals because the fact that they have three paws is irrelevant. They've been surviving with that. It's an old wound, but this guy, it was a new wound, and we won't amputate a leg for that animal to, especially a young raccoon like this one was, to have it have that disadvantage in the wild, um, especially the release time for that animal would have been when it's freezing cold outside. Young raccoons have a very low survival rate anyways. With three paws, this animal very unlikely would have would not have survived the winter. Um, so we we were with our veterinarians and our technicians all as a team had to make that decision for that animal, which we never want to do. We all love animals and that's why we work here. Um, We always want to get that animal back out to the wild. We always do everything that we can to get that animal back out to the wild. But if it's not going to survive, if it's not in that animal's best interest, we unfortunately um, are able to, or we fortunately are able to make that call for that animal and help them pass along from the pain that they're in that animal had been suffering for at least eight days with that paw on its trap. So we were able to stop that suffering, which was a blessing for us to know that animal wasn't in pain any longer. I think that's something, again, that um, people who have spent time in, in wildlife rehabilitation or, or even in a veterinary office or an animal uh, shelter is understanding that um, finding a humane way to stop pain, whatever that way may end up being, is always yeah. the priority. And yes, always the exactly. best interest of the animal at heart. Yeah. 
And with our organization as well, we don't believe that keeping that animal with three paws in a cage for the rest of its life would have been fair to that animal. Um, this animal had por a portion of its life out in the wild already. Um, it is a wild animal. It deserves to be in the wild. It deserves its habitat, and its habitat deserves it. Um, and we, we don't want to succumb it to a life in a cage of um, not being well enough stimulated, not being able to mate and reproduce, um, as is its function in the wild. So we believe in, in and putting it through that, the process of having that amputation and having that healing process. And it may, because of the infection, it likely would have had to have that whole leg amputated and it may have just gone farther. Um, so with that animal, again, it was the best choice for it to, um, to help it pass along peacefully. Right now is one of a few times per year, I think, when you, uh, in wildlife rehab have sort of significance. As I said, it's a, it's a time of change and you've had significance uh, influx or changes in what you're seeing right now. It's going to be the, the animals trying to re-den, some of the animals yeah. starting to mate. Um, yes. Later in the year, you're going to have the babies um, and then yeah. those babies are going to be moving forward in their lives. And those are sort yeah. of your, your primary periods. Um, yeah. This time of year, or, or maybe in general, as it comes to these animals changing, well, and with your years of experience in wildlife rehabilitation, what's the message that you kind of want to have out there in regards to uh, the animals uh, changing behaviors as seasons change and how people respond to them? Um, so what, what we suggest in terms of how behavior is changing is that these animals have, they've lived where they've lived for years and years and years and they've done what they've done for years and years and years. They know what they're doing. It's actually quite rare that our intervention, our intervention is actually necessary. And usually when our intervention is necessary, it's something that we have caused. So it's either the animal's been hit by a car, it's been attacked by someone's dog, um, or it's been caught in a trap like that raccoon, that we are able to intervene on that animal's behalf and get that animal um, the help it needs because it has been impacted by humans. So normally what you're seeing is is something that is regularly happening with these animals year to year. Um, whereas we suggest if you, if you see something that's abnormal, always call your wildlife hospital before intervening, especially as baby season approaches. Um, those babies, if you find some baby hares, for example, or baby rabbits, um, mother rabbits will leave their babies alone for hours at a time and won't come up to you if you go near her babies because she's scared of you, she sees you as a predator. So if you come up to those babies before intervening, before touching them, um, give us a call and we'll advise you as we can as to how to care for them and whether or not they might need care. Again, baby deer are the same thing. A mother will leave her babies for several hours at a time because they're safer in one spot. They're safer not following her around. If they're following her around, a predator may see them and can outrun them, whereas if they're staying in one spot, they're actually born not smelling like anything, so it's unlikely that a predator will come and find them, and she's able to return to them um, a couple of times a day to feed them and make sure they're in good shape. So always call a wildlife rehabilitation center if you suspect that some, something is unusual. Um, so that we can give some advice before intervention occurs. To learn more about the fantastic programs of the Wildlife Rescue Association of BC, visit them online at wildliferescue.ca. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the incredible work of Janelle Vanderbeek, who is moving on from her role at WRA. For the last several years, Janelle has not only helped save the lives of hundreds, if not thousands, of animals in British Columbia, 
but through her educational efforts with social media, traditional media, and right here on Defender Radio, helped thousands of people appreciate and protect the wildlife in their communities. We expect more great things from Janelle in the future, but for now, we want to offer a sincere thank you and good luck. That's it for this week, folks. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.